Hello and welcome to Pokeballs and Strikes, a podcast about baseball and occasionally Pokemon. Uh, I'm Tristan Jung, uh, today's host, and I'm joined by Max Gelman, who generally comes on this podcast and provides excellent, excellent insights on the inner workings of the Kanto region. Mm-hmm. Max, how much baseball have you watched since the opening day, do you think, in terms of time spent? In terms of time spent in minutes, uh, I'd say maybe about 15 or so hours, if we're including all of the videos I've been watching. Um, it's been an interesting opening weekend, for sure. I've been watching a lot of games that most people probably haven't been watching, uh, including a very, very interesting Tigers-Blue Jays 3 nothing game on Saturday which I'm sure the entire world was waiting for the results of. Um, but yeah, it's been a lot of, a lot of baseball. Yeah. Um, opening day was Thursday, and we basically got a full four days of baseball in before like the typical Sunday night break. So that's a pretty good start to the season. Did you like this opening day format? Because I know usually it's been like there's a Sunday night game and then Monday morning it starts, but this time it was just like everybody plays on Thursday. Yeah, I like it. I think that this is the second year that they've done it, right? They did it last year too. And I think the goal or the whole point of it is so that the regular season doesn't go into October and by, uh, I guess, the transit of property, the playoffs don't go into November. And so, I mean, I, I enjoy watching or having all 30 teams play on opening day. I think it's a lot better and more fun. I do think it's weird that they still have the weird off day in between the first day and the, the first game and the second game for some teams. Like, I think it would be much more conducive to keeping the players' schedules on point if everyone just started a three-game series on a Friday. And then had that weekend. But yeah, otherwise I like this. I'm pretty content with it. Uh, Yeah, so we are going to start this by going with things that surprised us this week. And and events that sort of caught our eye. Because obviously we can't take any statistical significance from anything. Or even standing significance from anything. So we're just going to list some things that we thought were interesting or max would you want to go first (laughs) sure i'll go first my number one surprising thing for the opening weekend is i didn't expect the braves young pitchers to be this bad so early in the season I knew that there might be some sort of learning curve, given that they're basically throwing all of the fruits of their farm system into the majors at once. But they walked, I think, 20 batters over their three-game series with the Phillies. And it's not like the Phillies are you know, a terrible offense. They, they're actually a good team, but 20 free passes in three games is really not going to get you much for a team that won the division last year. Uh, I know Fulton Evich is hurt, and I know Soroka is hurt, and I know for some reason Sean Newcomb isn't starting or didn't start one of the first three games. But, you know, they walked nine batters yesterday and gave up five hits. And that's just, and also Shane Carl hit Reese Hoskins on purpose. But 
you, you know, you can't, like, you can't, it's, it's one of the dangers of building around pitching. You, you, you have to throw strikes. Yeah, I mean, the Braves definitely look to be in the most trouble of the four NL East teams that are competing right now. I mean, they pretty much didn't, they, like, the offense wasn't very good either. Like, the pitching, like, they was, like, it was, it was, I think they scored six rounds in the first game. So, But, like, definitely not a good pitching performance. And I think the main problem with the Braves is that they just don't really have any depth yeah. um, outside of... Like, I mean, there's, I don't even really, I didn't know who the guy, who is right, K. Wright. I didn't Kyle Wright. Okay, yeah. Yeah, he um, should not have been starting the third game of the season. Yeah, so I, I don't think the, I think the Braves are probably already, we're looking at an uphill climb to repeat as division champions. And this week really just sort of confirmed that. But you sort of expected the pitching to be much better than what, I mean, I, I thought the problem would be more spread out so yeah yeah i mean i didn't i didn't expect them to be great pitchers but i didn't expect them to be this bad either i think is the big surprising thing i mean you have all these walks have basically inflated the phillies ops's as a team i mean i'm looking at the box score from yesterday there were they had they have five starters right now with an ops over a thousand because of this series and even though it's been only three games we know but Reese Hoskins walked three times yesterday. We already mentioned he was hit by a pitch. Harper was on base four times. Uh, Real Muto has an OPS over 1,000. Michael Franco has the highest OPS on the team at 1,694. And Yeah, it was a good series for the Phillies. Yeah, I really mean, good series. Jake Arrieta, they, six uh, walks aside. Yeah, I mean, they look... Uh... Exactly as advertised, which ESPN was drooling over yesterday. But I mean, I I, I can't really argue with that. I mean, they they look certain. Certainly, the lineup looks like it's the best in the NL East so far. Um, we'll see how they do the, how they do against Scherzer on Tuesday or Wednesday, or is it Tuesday tomorrow? Uh, they they moved I, around their rotation, so Scherzer would face the Mets and Phillies three times. Yeah, it's Tuesday. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, um, so my surprising thing is I'm gonna go with uh, the key, uh, the pretty obvious answer, which is that the Orioles won two of three games from the Yankees. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the Orioles, who were projected to win like 52 games this year, are already already like well, if you think about it, they're already like four percent of the way there, and we haven't even gotten out of the first weekend so and they were playing the Yankees who were supposed to uh, be the best team in baseball so obviously most of that is is total luck I I think the Yankees left maybe like a thousand runners on base between Uh, Saturday don't shortchange them it was easily 3,000 yeah um, (laughs) it was definitely not promising Um, it's not like the Orioles have found anything remotely impressive on the pitching side. I think uh, Bundy was was actually quite bad, but uh, didn't get touched up for any home runs, which basically kept him in the game. And then uh, the bullpen decided to basically nearly blew both games and loaded. I think loaded the bases the first time, and then 
uh, both times. I think they blow the bases both. Anyway, they had the winning run. The Yankees had the winning run both times and uh, failed to cash in. So um, it's the most smoke and mirrors three game set probably you'll see. But um, yeah, uh, <clears throat> definitely enough to get yeah, New York sports media people angry for a little bit. Yeah, I saw Mike um, Francesa was already angrily tweeting about whether or not the Yankees can dig out of this hole. Spelled with a W. <laughs> I mean, the or- the Orioles did win seven games against the Yankees last year uh, out of 19, um, which isn't terrible, but it's a lot better than you'd expect a team that won 47 games to do. They went. They only went six. They only went three and sixteen against the Red Sox. Yes. So. Well, it's baseball, and uh, I mean Trey Mancini. I think the one interesting thing about the Warriors is that Trey Mancini has actually looked like a legitimate player in the first three games, so that's good. Uh, uh, I don't know any of the other Orioles players' names really, but uh, Are you telling me you're not a fan of Orioles catcher Austin Wins? Who? Exactly. <laughs> and Cam- <Her>? Cameron Mullins, <laughs> Renato Nunez. I just learned who Renato Nunez was. And I, I know who uh, Jimmy Yacobonis is, of course. Oh, yes. And David Hess. Um, yes. And Michael Gibbons. Um, Bottom line, the Orioles are bad. Yes. And it's funny that they won two games. Um, so we can snake draft the surprising things here. And uh, I will... I can give another one. <laughs> sure, yeah. Um, so I think I was pretty surprised by the A's starting pitching this week. Um, I know mm. they were pretty bad in Japan, and it, it's one of those teams that were like, oh, yeah, they have six bullpen arms that are all good, and they're going to maybe throw their starters four or five innings. And then Mike Fires, Frankie Montes, and um, who was the third Marco guy? Marco Estrada. Uh, yeah, Marco Estrada all looked like somewhat decent, which I know again it's one series, but also Brett Anderson pitched pretty well. Um he's back from the dead for like the sixth time with the A's, it looks like. And um yeah, I mean if the A's can get any sort of starting pitching going, I mean that's gonna be a repeat of I mean, they were one of the best teams in baseball in the second half last season. These are looking pretty solid, which I was not expecting at all like Montes was like incredibly bad last year having owned him in fantasy several times <laughs> um and uh yeah i mean it's brett anderson how many times has brett anderson been on the a's at this point i gotta i should have looked this up beforehand but um he's uh wow he's been in the league 10 years that's that's mystifying anyway um yeah so i did think that, or yeah, this is like his third at com- third or fourth comeback attempt after he hasn't pitched the full season since 2015. Anyway, so I was pretty surprised by that. And then I think on the flip side, the Angels probably have to be a little disappointed with losing. Um, I think they lost. Yeah, they lost three of four, and their run differential is only minus three. So mm-hmm. that's tough. For them. Yeah, I watched the the second game of that series, uh, which the Angels won. Uh, Matt Harvey versus Marco Estrada, and Estrada is a very frustrating pitcher to watch 
because he doesn't throw all that hard, and his windup is very slow. So he's it's it looked like the Angels were having trouble picking up the timing on his pitches because he was just going like mostly straight fastball changeup, and they were just swinging at everything. I think. Estrada retired the first 11 batters on like 35 pitches or something ridiculous. Um, and then he got into trouble in the fourth um, because with two outs, he struck out Justin Bohr, but there was a wild pitch. And so Bohr reached first and then he ended up loading the bases, but got out of the jam. Um, and he, he wasn't, again, he wasn't throwing all that hard and he his changeup was like 74 miles an hour. Is that good? It's pretty good if you only throw 86, 87. Yeah. And you can um, get everyone to just pop out softly to the outfield. But yeah, uh, Estrada was, for as much as he could, he was shoving. Yeah. Um, all right. So uh, what's your next surprising thing? My next surprising thing is something that is very near and dear to my heart, and it involves the Chicago White Sox uh, and their starting pitcher from yesterday, who was Lucas Giolito, who last season turned in probably the one of the worst, the single worst seasons for a starting pitcher who ended up throwing the full season. Uh, he led the majors in walks and had the highest ERA of any qualified starter. And yesterday, he walked the first batter on four pitches and then retired the next 19 in a row, which is a very good thing for the White Sox if they want to actually make a step forward in their rebuild this year. Because uh, Dylan Cease is going to be up at some point for the White Sox this year. He's the next prospect that would be ascending if you will. Um, and you, we all know Kopech is hurt. He's out for the year with a Tommy John surgery. Dane Dunning is probably going to have Tommy John surgery as well. I think that was announced already. I'm not sure. But uh, he was doing well until he got hurt. And so Dylan Cease is like probably the only other top-level pitcher. They have a lot of decent uh, pitchers in the lower levels of the minors, but Cease is the only one who's anywhere close. And when Cease comes up, people were pointing to Giolito as the guy who's probably going to get bumped from the, rota- from the rotation if he can't put it, put it together. And yes, it was the Royals, but you know, playing in the AL Central, that's mostly who Giolito's going to face. And he just was great yesterday. He missed his spots early in the first inning and the second inning, but after that, you know, he was, again, mostly fastball changeup like Estrada. And he was great, and I was very surprised to see that Giolito had a good start because they were very few and far between. Yeah, um, I was definitely surprised by that as well. I, I looked at the line, and I was like, oh, wow, Lucas Giolito, he's going to give up six earned runs, and he was, he was good. Um, do you think that he is going to stick, I mean, just long term? I mean, I hope he does. He's one of those guys where you kind of root for him to succeed just because he's such like a nice person and just he gives based on my experience with him last year uh he is more than willing to talk to media whenever they want 
Um, he is oh, he is very visible in the community, um, and he's just like a nice all around person. And so he's there. There are a couple. There are generally, um, you know, beat reporters generally have like a couple players on the team that they cover that they just root for personally, regardless of uh, you know trying to remain unbiased. <clears throat> trying to remain unbiased of, you know, being a fan in the press box. And Giolito is one of those guys. Whether or not he can, it's re- it remains to be seen just because he was so inconsistent last year and so in his own head. So if he can... I mean, he's always had the stuff. He doesn't throw in the mid-90s anymore um, because of the Tommy John surgery. But, you know, if he can get the mental side down and learn how to pitch with his diminished stuff. I think he could be really good. Yeah. I mean, actually it was a pretty promising weekend from the White Sox just in terms of all of their prospects and, and Eloy came in and um, had a decent series. And then Yon Moncada was hit pretty well. And then definitely not the, completely moribund roster and, and uh, that we saw from last year. Yeah, they were, they were okay. I, I don't know if it was a great series for them. They still lost two games to the Royals. This is um, true. But yeah. the Royals might be okay. Who, who knows? <laughs> mm, uh, the Brad Keller is good. But I, other than that, I, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not so sure about that yet. All right. And uh, you want to give your last surprise? Yeah, my last surprise is going to be about the team that has the best record in baseball right now, and that is the Seattle Mariners. Uh, They won the first two games in Japan and then would have swept the Red Sox if Hunter Strickland hadn't lied about being injured and given up a three-run homer in the ninth to Mitch Moreland on Friday. So... At my work, there's a really big Mariners fan, and so I've been hearing a lot about the Mariners recently. And I think it's just worth it to mention that the Mariners, even though they have played more games than anyone else, and yes, it was a very impressive series from them against the Red Sox, it's not like it's been fluky. These games haven't been... You know, they're trailing the whole game and then they win by a run in, like, extras. You know, these are these are some pretty impressive wins from Seattle. And everyone had tabbed them as probably one of the worst teams in baseball after DePoto sold everyone from Edwin Diaz and Cano to Gene Segura. And I think they traded, traded four and then traded away Carlos Santana. Or was that part of the three-team deal? But they looked really good against the Red Sox. I think they scored 12 in the first game. They scored six in the second game, which is the one they lost. They scored another six on Saturday and almost blew that one, too, in the ninth. Um, And then on Sunday, they scored 10. So this offense looks pretty legit. Yeah, um, they really hit around Sale. I think that was the yeah. big takeaway for me is that Sale's velocity was down and he looked really out of sorts in that start. 
Um, but I mean, I don't believe in the Mariners at all. However, I, I, it is impressive what they've done so far. Um, yeah, whether, whether or not everyone believes in them it remains to be seen, but they, they were definitely very surprising. Yeah. And, and they had a great series in Japan as we've covered. So, I mean, it's, it's been, yeah, I mean, they're five and one, you can't really argue with that. Um, even if a lot of it is sort of luck-based. Um, although they run differentials plus 13 to start the season, so it's not like it's all luck. Yeah, it's been pretty good. Um, yeah, and then my on the, on the in maybe the inverse of the Mariners, my my surprise is the uh, last surprise is the how miserable the Cubs have looked in the first three games. Uh, they were playing the Rangers, who are a bad baseball team, and um, they the last two games they've been up, I think, both times after the seventh inning and completely blown it. Um, I Javi Baez has been great, and then they've scored a lot of runs, but, I mean, the pitching has just been totally, like, completely just garbage. Um, yeah. Darvish, uh, big comeback from injuries, walked seven batters in two and two-thirds innings, gave up three runs. That was not good. Then last night they they came all the way back. They were down. They went down because of general not. They were not. Where is the box over here? Um, they were losing ten uh, seven, I think, and then they came back to yes. They were losing ten ten eight, and then they came back in the eighth, and then Pedro Strope. Uh, came in and basically blew the save in about two seconds because that seems to be what he does every time he closes, but he's still like the best setup guy uh, in, they've had this decade. So um, yeah. And I just like, it was so bad. <laughs> I know you watched uh, a lot of the Cubs pitchers uh, this weekend and, and it's just like, I don't know what's going on over there. It, it, it's been yeah. This is this is one thing where I think we're going to disagree because I do not think that the that this is all that surprising. Uh, I coming into the season, I had no faith in the Cubs pitching. I mean, they're relying on I think three starters who are in their mid thirties or older, or four actually. Because isn't isn't Kendrick Hendricks pretty old? He's um, he's, he's not Hendricks. he's not young. Yeah, Hendricks is 29. Okay, so, well, he's not mid-30s, but he's not super young either. Yeah, their their rotation is just not very deep, especially, you know, Quintana had that dreadful season last year, you know, relative to him. And then their bullpen, Brandon Morrow is going to be out for who knows how long. And I just don't see it. I just don't see how they're going to you know, prevent teams from scoring. That Their offense is really good still. You know, Brian's back and healthy, hopefully. Baez is a beast. Uh, Contreras is good. Schwarber's good. Rizzo is still good. But they're, I, I really don't like their pitching. And I don't think Yu Darvish is going to rebound to what he was before his injury. I mean, that's, that's the key here. I mean, if he, can, if he can come back, then they'll have at least a half-decent first three first three pitchers but after that if he, and if he doesn't he's you know it's not going to be good yeah 
I mean, there's bad pitching, and then there's getting completely obliterated by Azurbel Cabrera uh, in 2019. I, 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 it can't be this bad. I mean, <laughs> it's like that's terrible. I mean, you can't give up 11 runs to the Rangers when they're starting like Jeff Mathis and <laughs> Logan Forsythe and Azurbel Cabrera. I, I mean, it, it's just like a little. It's a little much, and I'm sure it'll regress a little bit back. And and Hendricks did not pitch this weekend, but I mean, right. I mean, how long of a leash are they going to give some of these old guys? I mean, Chatwood came in yesterday again, walked two batters, didn't look good at all. Um, I mean, Hamels obviously you got to give the benefit of the doubt, but like Lester was his peripherals are so bad. Like how? Yeah. I mean, you have I, to do something if you're in any kind of NL Central race. Midseason, I mean, you have to consider making some sort of trade. Yeah, I, I, I don't think the Rangers' offense is that bad either. They still have Joey Gallo, who's going to hit forty home runs. Uh, no more Mazzara is only twenty four. Um, Rugnetto Door is twenty five. DeShield is twenty six. Yeah, and Andrews is always good. And Andrews is always, you know, he'll give you two eighty, two ninety average. So yeah, I, I don't, I, mean, I don't, it's, I don't it's think it's, it's, it's the Rangers' offense that's the bad part of this team. Yeah, but I mean, it's still Hunter Pence and Azure. Like they're playing like yeah. guys who were really good in like 2011, and their whole pitching staff is guys who were good in 2012. But um, yes, and which that, is why is they true. gave up 10 runs um, <laughs> last night. So shout out to Lance Lynn. He's still he's still trying to hack it. I mean, and Edinson Volquez. Yeah, and Mike Miner. Mike Miner. Yeah. <laughs> Drew Smiley is on this team. Yeah. Um, Mike Miner and Shelby Miller. Wow, they're just trying to recreate the old Braves, old Braves pitches. Okay. Yep. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, speaking of things that weren't surprising, um, I think I'm actually going to change mine at the last second. Uh, oh, I was. I am not surprised whatsoever that the Dodgers have come out just like uh, scoring <laughs> a billion runs and start of these. I mean, I think. I thought that the Dodgers' offense was uh, like just they were extremely. I mean, the, the whole Dodger season last year, even though they made the World Series, the regular season was probably one of the more underwhelming seasons of any of like the big division winners or big contenders. And um, yeah, I think that their offense is just loaded. I don't. I, there's just like no. They have. 10 or 11 guys still who can who would probably be starting every day for most teams and i mean the pitching was an issue this weekend but i'm i'm just not surprised at all that they've just been raking to start the year no this is it's it's very good for the dodgers that they've managed to score 42 runs in four games uh against a not very good diamondbacks team but still they are i'm i'm more surprised that they lost a game. Oh, that was a really terrible... It went 13 innings, and it was a... Um, yeah, and they almost lost on Sunday, too. But they scored three in the in the eighth. Um, yeah, the, the Dodgers are probably still the best team in the National League. Yeah. Remains to be seen what the Phillies can do, or if the Brewers or Cardinals can be good, or the Cubs still. But, uh, yeah, the Dodgers are still supreme. Yeah, and um, I mean, last year they they were the best offense or the, had the best like team by war, and then uh, 
least clutch team in baseball last year. So um, even worse than the Orioles. Yeah, it's definitely something that I expected to regress back to the mean because like you can't have a negative nine. You can't just be like that bad in clutch situations for an extended period of time. And, and they've come back and just hit with runners in scoring position and hit eight home runs in a game. So I, I, I'm not surprised that uh, this team of extremely talented and highly paid individuals is now playing good baseball. Okay. Uh, on, I will give my not surprising fact, and we're, we're going to stay in the NLS here, but uh, it has not been surprising to me that the Giants offense is absolutely atrocious. They scored five runs in four games against the Padres. Eric Lauer started opening day for the Padres against Madison Bumgarner and needed 70 pitches to get through six innings, facing guys with two first names like Connor Joe and Michael Reed, and gave up, I think, maybe three hits in his six innings. Four hits, excuse me. And the Giants... You know, Evan Longoria has looked okay. Buster Posey has not looked good. And the Giants just are so bad. I think yeah. that I think it's been it's been debated in the offseason whether or not the Giants or the Diamondbacks are going to be worse, the worst team in the NLS because of the Diamondbacks trading away Paul Goldschmidt and sort of doing a a partial teardown. But I, it's it's going to be the Giants who are the worst team. I, they might be worse. The the only worst team in the National League might be the Marlins than the Giants right now, or this year, because they are so bad. Yeah, they're really <laughs> bad. Um, I watched the Paddock start, and and their whole offense was just like non-existent. I'm just looking up the Paul Goldschmidt trade again. Just it's such a bad. Tra- <laughs> it was Carson Kelly and like two other people. It was Luke Weaver, Carson Kelly, and Andy Young for Paul Goldschmidt. Yep. How did they get that? How, how, how can the Mets not, like, okay, just the, like, the Mets are just like the stock team, but how can teams not have a better offer than that? Anyway, um, it doesn't make any sense. Um, just like Luke Weaver? I mean, he was good, but like, it's Luke Weaver. I, I whatever. Um, yeah, the Giants not looking surprised. Uh, the Giants were terrible. Um, yeah. And I've got, I will be watching Giants Dodgers tonight as my assigned game to chart. So that'll be, that'll be another fun offensive game to watch. I think it's Julio Urias and Drew Pomeranz. Oh, Can man. the Dodgers Drew Pomeranz is going to get lit up? <laughs> yeah. Can the Dodgers score more than eight runs? I wonder what the Probably. over-under for that game is right now. Um, I'm going to look this up quickly. Uh, yeah, that game's going to be a mess. The over-under for the game is eight. How many of those runs will be <laughs> Dodgers runs? I mean, they're probably expecting seven of those to be Dodgers runs. Right. Anyway. Um, yeah, so I think that's all the talking points we ran through. Is there anything else notable that you wanted to mention um, baseball related? Um, yeah, baseball related. Not really. I mean, I got yeah. I think I think I'm good. Uh, we talked about yeah. I, think I, think we I talked about, about all four games that I watched. Yeah. So Giants, yeah. Padres, 
Angels, A's. Tigers, Blue Jays, I mentioned. Gave a quick shout-out to that shit show. And uh, what did I watch yesterday? The Cubs thing. No, no, no. Oh, White Sox Royals with Chilito. Oh, right. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that was a, yeah, I, I would just like to add that there's a, a bunch of ex-Mets doing somewhat replacement level things around the league. Uh, Hansel Robles is now elite mm-hmm. setup man, apparently. Good to still, know. Still pointing out pop-ups. And, uh, Matt Harvey started for the Angels as we've covered, um, and he looked like a completely fine pitcher i guess yeah which he, he looked, is now he i mean, looked he's like, like his very average <laughs> he looked like his new self where he will get not a lot of strikeouts and just pitch to contact he, he's still trying to pitch with the same stuff that he had when he came up and so it, it'll it basically he'll be the most inconsistent player because sometimes you know the players will put the ball in play and they'll get hit. Sometimes they'll put the ball in play and it'll be right at players, but you, you can't really count on him to be to be very good. This, yeah. this, this is the new Matt Harvey. And then Kevin Pluecki is now the uh, fairly regular presence in the Indians lineup, apparently. Well, who else is going to hit for them? Uh, apparently, Jake Bowers and uh, Tyler Naquin. I know mm. Tyler Naquin. I did not know who really who Jake Bowers was until he was on the Rays last year. He came over in the I want to say Edwin trade with Seattle, the three way deal. Yeah. Um, they also have this uh, a guy up right now called Daniel Schneeman. <laughs> Do you have any idea? I've never. Heard I don't know. Of him. I don't know who that is. Also, Stephen Kwan. I've never, I've never heard of this dude. Uh, like, just completely. I also never really heard of Greg Allen either. But he has a real picture on ESPN, so that means that he must be more real. Although Eric Stamets yeah. and Max Moroff don't seem real. Um, <laughs> Daniel Schneeman. I didn't realize <laughs> that the the Indians had gotten Max Moroff. All right, he was on the Pirates for. He came up through their system. Yeah, he's, he he's good friends with Stephen Brault. Yep. Yeah, and then Kevin Ploiecki is basically their starting catcher, I think. I mean, they have Roberto Perez splitting time 50-50 pretty much with Roberto Perez. So, amazing. What a, what a great, what a well-run and excellent baseball team. Uh, do you want to do Pokemon of the Week? Let's do that. Yes. Yeah, so we're because we are named Pokeballs and Strikes, we are starting a new featured Pokemon of every podcast, depending on whether or not we do this once a week or more. But we will have a featured Pokemon every podcast. And because this is our first featured Pokemon, I figured that we would feature the first Pokemon in the Pokedex, which is number one, Bulbasaur, the grass starter for the red and blue games and fire red and leaf green and now the let's go games on the switch Bulbasaur is the seed pokemon it is two feet tall and four inches weighs approximately 15.2 pounds uh its counterparts are charmander the fire type and squirtle the water type um and its pokedex entry from from the red and blue games i might add 
This is dating all the way back to the the mid nineteen nineties. Uh, just kidding. I can't find that. We'll go with fire red and leaf green. There is a plant seed on its back right from the day this Pokemon is born. The seed slowly grows larger. And if that's not the cutest thing you've ever heard, I don't know what is. Grass Were poison. You, uh, What's all that? Right. When you played Pokemon, which was your which was the, your go-to type to start every game? Yeah, so th- this was actually the discussion that I wanted to bridge into, but it would be the water type. So, yeah, I also was water type. Yeah. That's boring. But water type probably is the is it the best type strategically to pick at the beginning? I think it is. I mean, it really depends on which game you're playing. I guess because the gym order is usually different. But yes, it, it 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 usually depends on the gym order. But generally, there have been like rock gyms at the beginnings of games. Yes, and ground gyms. Um, <clears throat> and, and eventually, like the starter type doesn't matter by the time you get to the eighth gym, anyway. So yeah, but I. Other team, other Bulbasaur has always gotten a lot of hate because everyone loves Charmander, and then people also like Squirtle because it wore sunglasses in the old uh, cartoon. Yes, this Detective Squirtle, po- yeah. the Squirtle Police, <laughs> the, the Squirrel Squad. So, uh, yeah, Bulbasaur has always gotten a bad, a bad rap, but I think it's still, still pretty formidable when it evolves into when you can when you mega evolve venusaur into mega venusaur it gets uh, a very good competitive ability which is uh, thick fat which halves the uh, fire and ice type damage it takes and since it's already uh, weak to fire and ice it basically makes it regular resistance um so it it, it only gets weak to flying and psychic so uh, mega venusaur is a pretty good Pretty good Pokemon, if I would say so myself. Yeah. Um, I just, like, never went for... Gra- I mean, I always figured, because you go water, and then your rival goes with grass, and grass always has the most weaknesses, I right. feel like, of the three, which is why I picked it, generally. No, yeah, it definitely does. Because um, fire is only weak to water, rock, and ground. Water is only weak to grass and electric, and then grass is just weak to... Everything. <laughs> Fire, yeah. ice, flying, bug. Uh, poison. Poison, yeah. Yeah, so that, that was generally my reasoning. I mean, I know in... in I think it's... Uh, yeah, in, in Hoenn, because you get the rock gym first, and then you immediately get... Like, you have to get through the, the third one, which is the electric-type one. And I think Kanto sort of works similarly because the Lieutenant Surge is pretty early. Um, that was always the hard. I, I that was always impossible. But other than that, like, but I think with Hoenn was what they gave you was they gave you Mudkit, which was also a ground type. So then you could just walk through everything. So it was basically it didn't make any sense because to not take Mudkip, Mudkip if you wanted to beat right. the game quickly. I feel like. Yeah, Mudkip evolved. If you evolved Mudkip into Marshtomp before the first gym, I guess it didn't really matter, but it gets a much higher defense, and then it can beat the ground types, it can beat the fighting types in the second gym, and then beat the electric in the third. Um, and then the fourth gym in Hoenn is fire. So, like, I don't know why you wouldn't take Mudkip. Yeah, I mean, if you're just looking for 
efficiency purposes for fun purposes i think it's way it's probably way more fun to start with torchic just in terms <laughs> of like entered like actual difficulty and uh enjoyment of the game but um if you want to win then yes you should probably take mudkip um yeah i i when you generally play pokemon playthroughs are you looking to like beat the game quickly or what are you what are you generally looking to do i don't know i've i've played every game so many times now that i just pick whoever is suiting my mood at the given time um like if i feel like playing with a fire i'll do fire if i feel like playing with grass i'll do grass but uh yeah it doesn't really make a difference to me anymore because <laughs> i've played them so much I generally do stay away from the grass types, though. Just because I think, except for Trico and Bulbasaur, uh, their designs are just so much worse on average than the water and fire types. This is true. Um, I mean... Turtwig was, was lame. You yeah. throw it out there. I didn't like Turtwig. I didn't like... I hate Chikorita. I think Meganium is the worst starter. Worst final evolution starter out of all the the seven generations. Um, I don't know if you played or are familiar with uh, X and Y. Vaguely but, familiar. But the grass type starter evolves into a grass fighting type at the end. And is basically sort of like a turtle, but also a knight with a giant shell as its shield. And it is so laughably bad, especially compared to the awesomeness that is Greninja, the water type. So, yes, I, I guess we're um, declaring that Bulbasaur is the best. Is Bulbasaur the best grass type starter just in terms of... I think Trico is the best grass starter, but after okay. that it's Bulbasaur for sure. Um, I'm now looking at the fighting Turtle Knight thing and that's it's so funny. Um, chestnut. Yes. Um, even the wow, Greninja looks way actually cool. Yeah, um, Greni Greninja is in Smash, and that's all you need to know about Greninja. Yeah, is how good it is. Um, Delphox. Nice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, it, when we were kids, it used to like mat. Used to like it used to matter like which starter you picked every time. I feel like there was like a. There were grass type guys. There were fire type people, and there were there and girl. Um, there were there were people who just like exclusively were into one of them. And then I think they sort of kept that into Pokemon Go, in, in which like you had to like pick a team early on, and then you just sort of stuck <laughs> with them the whole time. Right. Um, so that's sort of an interesting dynamic, I guess. Like you can people will make tribes out of literally anything. <laughs> Yeah, we, I think we're both pretty definitively in the water, water gang. Um, yeah, but, I know that when the next game comes out, Sword and Shield, I will be still sticking with water. It looks like it's going to be some sort of chameleon type thing, or like a lizard, because in the in the trailer they showed him, or they showed it, uh, camouflaged in water and then coming out of a fountain, and looking scared. Hmm. Yeah, when is that coming out, by the way? Uh, late 2019 is the uh, is what the trailer said. Uh, in the last 
several games have come out in November and like the, the middle of November. Uh, I think dating back to the Ruby and Sapphire remakes in 2014, they've all come out in like the second or third Friday of November. Yeah. So that's probably, that's probably the schedule they're aiming for again this year. Um, hopefully it doesn't get delayed because the game looks fantastic. It is kind of cool that we're getting like semi-regular Pokemon updates because, like, I remember there were much longer gaps when I was a kid. I feel yeah. like, yeah, when they were when the the when the series was still in you know Gen three and Gen four, uh, the Japan games would still come out like six months in advance of the games in America, and so like they've always come out in like October or November in Japan, but in America. They used to come out in March or April, or even May. I think is when Emerald came out. Yeah. Um. So there was always, you would always see all of this stuff about what was happening in Japan. You weren't really sure because the internet wasn't old, and the forums back in the mid two thousands were weird, and everything wasn't streamlined on YouTube. But yeah, there's definitely a lot more information that they give us now. Which is awesome. Yeah, I remember going around like trying to find like bootleg videos of the Japanese versions, and then like not understanding what was going on, and mm-hmm. then, like the anticipation would build so much in those six months because you knew it was coming, and you didn't know what. To, and you just just like, well, yep. I... <laughs> there are some people who like bought the game in Japanese and just played it without like getting any dialogue. Right? Yeah, I, d- I, I did something similar with uh, Black and White. Black and White and Black and White 2 were the last games that they released in Japan before they released everywhere else. And so when it came out in Japan, this was in September 2010, uh, I bootlegged a Japanese ROM of Pokemon Black and played it in Japanese on an emulator six months before it came out in the United States. Yeah, that's uh, it's uh, it was the move, mm-hmm. and now it's sort of gone but probably for the best and um we will definitely have more pokemon content going forward because the detective pikachu movie is coming out next month and then there's a uh, plenty of that looks sure, so good. Just, uh, assorted pokemon content but um i think that's pretty good for this episode uh yeah so thanks to everyone for listening and um we will hopefully podcast sometime next week so and uh, now you can actually get this podcast on real formats instead of just Anchor. I, I think it's on Spotify and a couple other podcast sites now. Um, we were are working on trying to get it to Apple Podcasts. Um, so, yeah. Thanks, everyone, and uh, see you next time. <laughs>